You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Good, everybody. Konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome, everybody, one and all, to Abakabu Cafe. This is the internet's number one premier Kimagure Orange Road podcast on the entire internet. I am your host, Jason Almy. I want to thank you very much for tuning in today to listen to this episode because today we're talking all about Orange Road TV episode 32, entitled, Will My Birthday Come Twice? Time Runner Kyosuke. This episode originally aired November the 9th of 1987. It was directed by Shinbayashi Minoru, who has directed a few episodes prior to this. Previously, Shinbayashi directed episode 8. That was Shutter Chance at the Beach, a fairly significant episode, as well as episode 13. That's Shikaru's super transformation into Cindy Lauper. Episode 17, Kasuga sweats way too much in a library, in public. It's disgusting. Don't sweat that much in public, people. Please don't do it. Also, the most recent episode directed by Shinbayashi was episode 25, which is another episode in which Kasuga hypnotizes himself. So that's going to be relevant today. Today's episode was written by Tomita Sukehiro. Tomita has written 10 episodes at this point, including today's. Second only to Terada Kenji in terms of writing credits. Tomita is up there. He's Terada's number two, I guess. Most recently, Tomita wrote last week's Yusaku-focused episode. So maybe he's going to try to redeem himself this week for that, uh, that gem. And this is actually kind of a wild episode, in all honesty, Forget continuity after the ending of this episode, and you'll see what I mean once we talk about it. But this is the episode of all Orange Road episodes to just forget about any kind of episodic continuity. They are simply having fun and expressing themselves and getting wild with the show at this point. And honestly, I'm here for it. As usual, we begin in media res. Kasuga is already super pissed off about something. We don't know what it is yet. 
but he tells us in his voiceover and the animation of his body language reinforces that he's upset about something. There's something that's weighing on him. He's really kind of pissed off at the people in his life, his family, maybe even Ayukawa and Shikaru-chan. Now, Shinbayashi shows us a shot of Kasuga's bedside clock. It's just after 4 p.m. Time is a thing in this episode. If you couldn't tell by the title of the episode, time is important. So in inserting imagery of a clock is very appropriate here. Before cutting away from the clock, Shinbayashi employs some actually kind of cool animation. It's a little subtle, but it's it's still pretty slick. We see the hands of the clock whiz backward about seven or eight hours. The animation is fast. It's like time-lapse photography. And, and this is a, actually a slick way to bring the audience back to before our opening in Media Res to show us what got Kasuga so heated. But it's also actually kind of some cool foreshadowing too because time travel is going to become important to the narrative of this episode. So it's almost like we as the audience are time slipping at the outside of the story. We're going from the present day to the past, back to the present, and watching time flow so rapidly in reverse as we arrive at our destination in the past must be kind of similar to the experience of time slipping for Kasuga. Immediately, as I'm watching this episode open up, I have to ask myself, is the premise of this episode based off of 16 Candles? I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. Sixteen Candles was released in 1984, so it's entirely plausible. That was a few years before this episode was animated and released, so they had time to reference that material. Everyone in Kasuga's family seems unaware that it's his birthday, while at the same time, he's refusing to spell it out for anybody. Like Molly Ringwald, he's kind of testing them to see if they remember that it's his birthday organically, without him having to tell them. He starts the episode kind of crushed by his family because they all pretend like they have no idea. The poor bastard just wants a little attention for his birthday. I mean, shit, I don't blame him. I'm the kind of guy who likes attention myself. So when it's my birthday, you better believe. It's obviously a Sunday in this episode based on how everybody is dressed, but Kasuga confirms it by circling the date on the calendar when he's trying to get everyone to guess that it's his birthday. And it's a Sunday that he circles. We're treated to another shot of the clock. This time it races forward, just like the time lapse again. It races back to the present, just after 4 p.m. Kasuga is still in his shit mood. He's cursing his family ties. But there's still some hope that maybe he'll get to spend his birthday with Ayukawa. Worst case scenario, an adoring Shikaru. We cut to a tight shot of Kasuga as he mentions the events of yesterday, and it sends the clock whizzing back in time yet again to about 28 hours prior. Now, Kasuga here does try to spend his birthday with a girl he'd like to be his girlfriend. Appropriately, he approaches Ayukawa about spending time together first. She is his number one priority after all. Now, he's kind of sheepish as he brings it up. He's a little shy telling Ayukawa that it's his birthday and he'd like to do something with her. It's kind of cute. It's kind of appropriate for for Casca's personality. Now, she tells him that she's got something very important to do the next day, so she she can't hang out with him. So next, he approaches Shikaru. 
She is surprised that he waited for her. He never waits for her. As I mentioned last week, she had to run to catch up with him. She's usually not on his mind like this, but as soon as he mentions his birthday to Shikata, she bolts. This is also uncharacteristic of her, but she knows that she's going to have a hard time keeping a lid on Kasuga's surprise party, and so, wisely, she bounces. We cut back to Kasuga in the present. There's no time lapse this time. We don't get a shot of the clock. And he's washing his face and his head from spilling milk on himself earlier, which sort of explains his, his wife-beater undershirt look. He had to take off his outer layer in order to wash the milk out of his hair. Also, it puts him in front of the mirror, which is problematic for him. After episode 25, he really should have removed this mirror from the wall entirely. So, of course, he hypnotizes himself. What else is he going to do? He could have played video games with Kazuya, I guess, but instead he hypnotizes himself. And we see the same visual effect as in episode 25, Shimbayashi's previous episode, where the camera zooms into his eye to show the mirror reflection in Kasuga's eye. And we travel through his mind this way, several levels, maybe a dozen or more as he hypnotizes himself. We go deeper and deeper and deeper into his psyche. His hypnosis does seem to bring out some subconscious behaviors. It's at this point in the episode where you would be forgiven for saying self-hypnosis again. Really? It's only been a whopping six episodes since he accidentally hypnotized himself before. Also, I got to ask, why does every self-hypnosis make Kasuga a sociopath? Best case scenario, he turns into some violent misogynist every time he hypnotizes himself. It's ridiculous. But fortunately for us, and maybe for Kasuga too, the self-hypnosis part is not the main part of the story this week. It's really just helping us to propel things. I'm going to talk about that in another second. Now, Kasuga's doorbell rings, and when it does, there's really kind of this interesting zoom out from Kasuga's face. We start with this tight shot as he was just hypnotizing himself in the mirror. And we zoom out as he turns toward the, the sound of the doorbell ringing. As the camera zooms out, the camera also tilts about 45 degrees so that the composition of the shot is now askew. It reflects Kasuga's current state and worldview. We next get a POV shot from Kasuga's point of view as he stares at Jingoro, and we see that the image is wavy and slightly blurred. It's almost like Kasuga is on LSD instead of hypnotizing himself. His worldview is literally distorted, so much so that he doesn't even recognize Jingoro as a cat. He doesn't know that he's looking at a cat. And I love that Ayukawa is like, that's weird when Kasuga doesn't answer the door after every person in his life told him that they're busy on his birthday. Like she just expects him to be home. She expected to find him just sitting there watching Japanese shark week and crying into his ice cream. At least she didn't walk into him taking care of his own business because what I'm saying is don't leave me at home alone on my birthday and not expect a mess when you come over. I'm just saying now, Kasuga failing to recognize Ayukawa 
is a little strange. He must be pretty deeply hypnotized. The last time he was hypnotized, of course, it affected his personality and his behavior, but it didn't affect his ability to recognize the people in his life. I mean, he knew who Ayukawa was. He behaved differently toward her, but he recognized her. Here, he's so deeply hypnotized. He's divorced himself from all of his other relationships, all of his past. He doesn't even recognize Ayuko, which is saying something, in my opinion. And also, Kasuga gets pretty violent pretty fast here. Ayuko actually had to slap our mans on his birthday, and now she's looking pretty super pissed. Shikaru gets her one and only chance to smack Kasuga on his birthday, too. So his birthday is really going pretty poorly at this point in the episode. And also, like I mentioned just a a brief moment ago, it's a little convoluted how they have to get him to the point of time travel in this episode. Like he has to get bummed enough about the way his birthday is going to hypnotize himself. He has to hypnotize himself in order to become this whole different person and behave this way, which leads to his attack of Ayukawa. And his attack of Ayukawa has to be witnessed in part by Shikaru, who comes in to him straddling Ayukawa. That way, Kasuga winds up chasing after Shikaru, puts him on the 99 stairs, and then she has to smack him one. I think it's the only time she ever smacks Kasuga, in the anime at least, so that he'll be off balance and he'll fall. And he has to fall in order to accidentally time slip because He doesn't time slip on purpose at this point. And it's kind of cool. We see Kasuga's psyche as he slips through time. We get a visual representation of what that time slip kind of looked like. There's something like this quantum realm. It's almost similar to what we see in the Shinkor movie where he's traveling through time. He's, He's not in the present. He's not in the past yet, but he's transitioning from one time to the next. Kasuga seems to be falling through this realm multiple times over. It's very abstract imagery to communicate to the audience that something's happening with this fall. It's not just a normal bump to the head. He's actually hit his head so hard that he traveled through time. And it becomes very obvious to us that Kasuga has never time slipped before this episode. He doesn't seem to consider the possibility that he time traveled when he when he wakes up in uh, the the past hour previously, he assumes that he was just unconscious for a moment. If he was aware of time slipping, he might have tried it to to cover some other gaffes in previous episodes. There have been other times where he might have liked to undo some of the things that he's done. And I think Kasuga's fantasy about Shikaru and Ayukua fighting over him here in this episode is actually kind of funny. But I also wonder, does it reveal something about his narcissism, about his feelings of self-importance. The idea that these two are going to fight over him. They're wearing school uniforms in his fantasy, which is also tinged blood red appropriately. Why does he imagine them fighting to the death over him rather than maybe they both agree that he's a scumbag and they, they don't want anything to do with him ever again? That's just as likely, right? when they realize that he's been playing them both. Something I do love about this episode is the mechanics of time slipping. It's something I've always really enjoyed. I like the idea that it's accidental. 
it's never seen as this controllable thing that he can harness. Typically, Kasuga is pretty good at moving items around using his ESP or, or teleporting himself or other items. And in other fiction that involves time travel, we oftentimes see a machine or a device that can be used to time travel, that can be set to a specific vector, a time, a place, etc., so that the, the time travel mechanic can be controlled. But here it's kind of this wild thing. It's accidental. He didn't mean to time travel in the first place. And even when he does attempt to time travel in this episode by jumping off of the stairs later on, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen if he's going to wind up time traveling or where he's going to wind up. So it makes the the mechanism kind of unpredictable, which I think can work for a narrative pretty well because then you can get the guy to time travel pretty much wherever, whenever, but then it's also kind of like fun too. Like you don't want to use this power willy nilly because you never know where you're going to wind up. So it's not something that he can abuse in other episodes. We don't see him use it very often in future episodes. So the idea that they've written it in such a way that it discourages him from attempting to use it because he can't harness it, he can't control it, sort of makes sense that he wouldn't want to use it again in the future. So it's kind of smart the way that they've written it and also kind of enjoyable. But it makes you wonder um, why he doesn't accidentally time slip back to the 1940s or even 1 million BC and get like bit by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It seems like possibly there's a limit to the distance that he can travel in time, just like there seems to be a limit to the distance in space that he can teleport. So that seems to make sense too. You can't accidentally time slip to before the universe existed. He time slips to an hour ago. Just like he can't teleport himself to the moon, but he could travel across town, maybe. It's also interesting that he does encounter and make physical contact with his younger self in this episode, his one-hour younger self in this episode, but he he's able to physically touch the younger self without any ramifications. But as we will see in episodes 47 and or 48, there is a detail here where... Ayuko was not supposed to make physical contact with a previous version of herself. There's a little inconsistency here. Something else I thought was interesting was when Shikaru prefers a vanilla cake for Kasuga, while uh, Ayukawa was preferring a chocolate cake for him for his birthday. A, I think it's cute that they're picking out a cake for him, but B, it reinforces these two girls as foils to each other. I think the show has already made them out to be foils. They've portrayed Ayukawa as mature, sophisticated, more reserved, whereas Shikaru is maybe a little bit more childish, less mature, but she's also very cute. She's not super sophisticated, but she's very outgoing too. She's not reserved in the way that Ayukawa is. Ayukawa is older, Shikaru is younger, and apparently chocolate and vanilla is another difference between these two women, but it does reinforce them as foils for Kasuga. And by the time Kasuga figures out that he's accidentally time-slipped, he's overjoyed that he's not in trouble anymore. He gives that little Kasuga giggle that he always does when he's pleased with himself. (laughs) 
But he also realizes now that there's two of him. The real problem in this episode is finally revealed. It's not that he hypnotized himself. It's not that he accidentally traveled to a different time. The real problem here is that there are now two Kasagas. And it's kind of fun that Kasaga gets to interact with himself here. He's still got the two personalities going on. So the younger Kasuga is still hypnotized, and and our Kasuga from uh, the beginning of the episode is now uh, back to his normal self. And it's like his inner sociopath gets to meet with his typical wimpy self, and he, he needs the sociopath personality in the balls. And we can consider this as maybe comeuppance for his being so rough with Ayukua, that, that hypnotized personality. Also, Kasuga's injuries are most often used as a punchline to a joke. Yusaku hits him and he he falls into a mop closet and gets a bucket stuck on his head. Or uh, the female wrestler hits him on the back too hard and he falls over. There's the idea that Kasuga getting hit, getting beat up, getting hurt, harmed physically is played for humor. It's a punchline. It's never a serious aspect of the plot. Very rarely does one of Kasuga's injuries play some kind of serious role in the narrative. And here, Kasuga is actually the butt of his own joke with this self-harm. Like, we're able to get this joke out of him, but he's doing it to himself, this previous version of himself, being this previous version of himself in the groin, and then we get to cut to this younger version of him as he kind of passes out from the scrotum pain. At this point in the episode, Kasuga also remarks that anybody who sees the two of them together, that is the two Kasugas together, would immediately betray the secret of his family power, and that would be a huge blunder. And this line is foreshadowing. I mean, this is, this is written into the dialogue for a purpose. Speaking of meaningful dialogue, Shikaru mentions that Kasuga's father encouraged them to throw a surprise party for Kasuga. She mentions it like a off-the-cuff detail, but it's actually kind of important. It tells us that his family earlier that day blowing him off was part of this ruse. It wasn't genuine that they forgot about his birthday. Shikaru goes on to be traumatized by the hypnotized Kasuga she tries to play it off to the future Casca. The future Casca rushes in and rescues her, of course, and moves that hypnotized Casca out to the bathroom. But she she pretends to be okay, but then pretty quickly thereafter starts crying again. It's some good evidence from the television series that Shikaru does go to efforts to mask her true thoughts and feelings by projecting this Genki kind of bubbly attitude but it it plays well with her personality in Anoshi to consider that perhaps that that bubbly upbeat persona is just what she wants to project out to people so that they'll think of her in that manner but that there might be a a, a real shikaru a layer of shikaru underneath that that is capable of being completely frightened by this guy she thinks is her boyfriend and now we have two kasugas of very similar personality and disposition. Our, our one hour previous Kasuga has woken up from his hypnosis. Good shot to the groin will do that for you. 
Of course, one Casca is from an hour in the future. That's the Casca that we started the episode with. The other belongs in that one hour past time. And they they reinforce that they can't both show up at the surprise party. So it's kind of wise of the filmmakers to acknowledge that two Casagas means that the love triangle could be resolved. Uh, the Casagas briefly mentioned that one of them could date Shikaru while the other one dates Ayukua, and having two girls wouldn't be such a problem anymore now that there are two Casagas. I don't think that would actually resolve the love triangle. I think there would still be an issue with both Casagas now competing with each other for Ayukua, because that's how Kasuga is. He loves Ayukua. Now, typically in time travel fiction, the person who travels to the past must return to their own time, often to see what parts of the timeline have been changed by their actions in the past. Now, these two Kasugas don't really seem to consider this as an option. They simply argue over which one of them should have to leave the current timeline And they start altruistically by saying, well, no, it should be me. Well, no, it should be me. But then they that winds up being subverted as they argue with the other and say, well, you should leave. No, you should leave. And so it's kind of funny that he turns into this, his cowardice sort of motivates him to back out of his own heroic gesture. It's kind of funny that he's like heroically volunteering to plummet down these stairs to go to another time. And and Kasuga gets a look at the height, like what the fall would be, and he just chickens out. We get a cool uh, time machine reference with the Ushiko and Umau scene. They appear as Victorian time travelers, and it made both me and H.G. Wells proud. It's really peak Umau and Ushiko silliness. The idea that these characters could appear in this quantum realm as Kasuga is traveling through time is really pretty ridiculous. They tend to be realistically neighbors of Kasuga, people that inhabit the same world as him, but they don't travel through his own ESP powers with him until this episode. Again, it is peak Uma and Ushko silliness, but it's a great cameo appearance for them. And now we're listening to Tell Me That You Love Me. It's a little bit of a jazzy play on Orange Mystery, that melody. And it's a really very pleasant melody. It gets us thinking that things in this episode are hunky-dory now. Future Kasuga gets to live in what is one hour past for him. And the Kasuga of one hour previously has f***ed off to God knows where. There is constantly mention of the one hour previous as an alternate timeline but the slip mechanic seems to be more like back to the future than a rick and morty style alternate universes in back to the future marty could effectively change the past if he went back in time and destroyed something its destruction would become part of his current timeline for example When he travels back in time in the first Back to the Future film, he accidentally destroys one of the pine trees in the past, in the 50s. When he returns to the 1980s, the mall is now named Lone Pine Mall rather than Twin Pines Mall. It shows you that his actions in the past 
impact the future and when he returns to the future, his actions in the past have had some consequence on his timeline. Instead of making branching timelines and having to deal with multiple different versions of the same character, which can really become super confusing, it's shit like this that makes time travel such a convoluted narrative element that most creative folks don't want to get near. You don't want to touch this kind of thing. It gets so confusing to the audience. Due to the dialogue, it's hard to tell whether Kasuga is simply living in an earlier point in time, as we see in Back to the Future, where Marty lives for several days in the 1950s, or if he's jumped into another universe and his old universe, the Orange Road Prime universe, is still out there somewhere. It's in shambles. Ayuka was upset with him. Shikaru hates him, and he's completely disappeared. No one knows where he is. I think, personally, I prefer the former, that... He's living in the past of his own universe, that he didn't travel to some alternate timeline, but he's simply one hour in the past, and he's able to interact with the same people, and he usually does in most episodes. They're an hour younger, but he's still able to talk to the same Ayukawa, the same Shikaru that he normally deals with. It's really kind of weird to me that Kasuga of one hour past is displaced from his own time. Our Kasuga doesn't seem to care as long as things are going well for him. It seems very shallow and selfish of our Kasuga to not be concerned about this other one hour younger Kasuga that he completely displaced. It's weird to me to think that all of the characters except Kasuga from the first 31 episodes are gone now. Never to be seen again, but they've been replaced with nearly identical alternate versions. And it's all very all's well that ends well until the other Kasuga shows up at the end and is witnessed by all entering Abakabu. This is potentially a huge reveal of the family's ESP, exactly what both Kasugas were seeking to avoid. Whatever happens next, it occurs off screen after this episode ends. This moment is never again mentioned by any character. And it's a big moment. You would think that this would have some future implications for the remaining episodes, but it doesn't. And like I said at the beginning, don't worry about continuity here because they're throwing it to the wind. There's no reason to worry about continuity because the filmmakers aren't. So why should we? It's a prime example of why continuity in this series is unimportant. Continuity issues such as the ones raised by the OVAs that people have spent hours on the internet going back and forth trying to reconcile, should be completely overlooked. It's just not a big deal. Enjoy it for what it's worth. Enjoy what the filmmakers are trying to provide. They clearly don't want us to fret over whether or not the entire rest of this series occurs in an alternate timeline to the first 31 and a half episodes. It might seem to be the case, but these details are disposable. When we pick up next episode, it's just not a thing. There are no definitive answers to any of the questions raised. And clinging to the questions will just distract you from enjoying what's offered in the future. So it's really kind of a crazy episode. It's really out there for an Orange Road episode, but it's really kind of an awesome episode after the last couple, focusing on characters like Yusaku, 
and Jingaro. It's nice to get back to some really high strangeness in the Orange Road world. And if you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, I want to invite you to please support Team Alamy Podcast Studios on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash teamalmy. We're going to bring you a ton of bonus content having to do with Orange Road. I'm going to be cooking some katsusans on video. I'm going to show you guys exactly how to make katsusans that look nearly identical to what is made or what is depicted here in the Orange Road series. And they're delicious. So check that out. I got some new equipment in so that we could film that video without any wires or cables and still have some really excellent sound quality. Also, I'll send you merch and you'll get access to Patreon exclusive podcast shit happens when you party naked. Also, please check out Creatures of the Night podcast. It's wacky, it's weird, it's crazy, it's kooky, it's over the top, but it's all in good fun. And we love you. We're not trying to make any political statements. Let me put it that way. So check out Creatures of the Night. I will leave a link in the show notes so you can check out my other show, Creatures of the Night. And it'll give you more fun podcasts to listen to throughout the week since this only comes out once a week. So everyone, thank you very, very much for listening to this episode this week. I very, very much appreciate you. And I'm going to give you a remix to one of the Orange Road songs that we haven't played in a while. I played this one maybe 15, 20 episodes ago. So here's a remix we haven't heard in a little bit. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope to see you next week on our next episode. Thank you very much for listening.